This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak. And Aaron Camaro. All right, time right now for the podcast that's going to take you to school, rock and roll school. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and I'm joined as always by my awesome friend and kick ass co host, Mr. Chris Sinzak. How's it going, brother? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited to try something new tonight. Yeah, and we've got a really cool uh, guest to come on and uh, introduce this theme that you came up with. I like the idea. Yeah, we're going to have fun. I knew the idea was pretty good, and I thought the only thing that would mess it up is if we don't do a good album. Well, we're going to rely on somebody else to make us talk about the album they want to talk about. And you know what? When it came across what we were going to be doing... I knew it was going to work. I knew it was going to be perfect. But of course, before we get to all the festivities at hand, we got to take care of our business. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, then you know we're all about the reviews and the recommendations. We love them. You know we do. And when we get them, we love them so much that we just got to share them on the show. This week, we got a couple of great ones. We got one from Podchaser. Can you believe it? I know. It's about time. We got one from Podchaser. It comes to us from the Nighthawk. And it goes a little something like this. Folks, let me tell you, if you're as passionate about music as I am and love hard rock and metal, let me tell you about a podcast that I know you're going to love, Decibel Geek Podcast. It's been around for 10 years, and the hosts of this here podcast, Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro, are two of the most knowledgeable guys on the subject of hard rock and metal. They bring it to the listeners each and every week. From classic albums unleashed, new noise episodes, along with great interviews to best ofs, and they always bring you the most information in the hard rock world, and even a laugh or two each show. But I'm partial, because I've been fortunate enough in the last five years through Chris's great rock and pot expos, you need to come, you will be hooked. He's gotten to know these guys personally, and they're as genuine and down to earth as you will ever meet. But enough about how I think of them. Give them a listen, and I promise you won't be disappointed. And you, too, will agree that the torch for hard rock and metal is being carried, and it's still being waved by my friends, Chris and Aaron. Your friend and supporter, David Cathy. Love that guy. From right here in Nashville. Our good friend. We see him at Rockin' Pod every single year. He's been with us since pretty much the very beginning when we started doing this show. And like you said, we got to meet him every year at Rockin' Pod and hang out with him. He's an awesome dude, you know. And this is part of the show that's really awesome of doing this. We started it 10 years ago. And through all the fun episodes we've created and all things we've gotten to do, the coolest thing about the whole thing is all the friends we've made right here in our own backyard to all over the world. And David Cathy, man, he's on the top of that list. Yeah, David's always been a huge supporter of the show. He's a great friend. We've even hung out with him a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, he's always fun to meet up with. And 
shares every episode like clockwork always supports rock and pod thanks david so much and uh, yeah take his lead go to pod chaser leave us a review you can even reviews review the single episodes it's a lot of fun to, to go to that site it's really cool yeah, Podchaser is a pretty awesome website, a good, a great place to discover new podcasts because you can find out all about them there. Hey, check this out. We've also got a Facebook recommendation. Another friend of the show, Mark Alden Taylor. He says, well, Facebook took away my accounts, so my recommendation disappeared. So here I go again. This podcast rules. Chris and Aaron are always on top of their game. Listen to this and be a part of the cool crowd. If not, man... You're missing out. That comes to us from Mark Alden Taylor. It's a Facebook recommendation. That's probably the easiest way to leave us a review. And that's a good one right there. It doesn't have to be epic like David's. It can be short, sweet, and to the point, just like Mark. We love these guys a lot, man. Both of them have been supporting this show for a long time. And we appreciate each and every one of you that listen to this every single week. So we're going to keep them rocking. We're going to keep coming up with cool new ideas and fun things to do. We're going to do our Friday night live streams. We're going to have Decibel Geek VIP extra content for the people over on Patreon. And because of you, we keep rocking on. Yeah, thanks, Mark, for that. And, uh... If you want to hear Aaron on a different show, he was on Mark's. It was a, it was at the Mark and Jerry BS sessions, or was it the Freeform Rock? Po- it, I think was it was a Freeform the, Rock. Yeah, podcast. it was the Freeform Rock podcast. We got on there and talked all about the Enough's Enough album Strength, and I had an awesome time with those guys talking about that album. I love it. Cool. Well, I gave him a plug for both his shows. So there you go. Heck yeah, there you go. That's how it works. So last week, man, we had a blast. Man, a really good show. This was one of my favorite ones. We got together with our awesome friend BJ Cramp. He's an author now. That's right. He wrote himself a cheap trick book. And from what he sent us and we checked out, it's freaking awesome. It's called This Band Has No Past. It's available right now for pre-order on Amazon. If you love Cheap Trick or you know somebody that loves Cheap Trick, it's the perfect gift for them. And we talked all about the best and the worst of Cheap Trick in the 70s. And like I said, you know, it's, it's kind of tough because there's a whole lot of best and not a whole lot of worst when it comes to Cheap Trick in the 70s. I still got a lot of hate for my uh, dislike of Elo Kitties, but that's okay. Something wrong with that guy sometimes. I don't know what to tell you people. <laughs> but I know a lot of people love that show and that episode because they got out there on the internet, on the Facebook, on the Twitter. They shared it. They retweeted it. They helped us get the word out about what we're doing here on Decibel Geek. And when you take the original post off of Facebook from our Facebook page... Or from our Twitter account and you retweet that, we keep track of the list. We know everybody that's out there sharing it. We keep track of it. We put it together. And the very next week, we want to read the names of the people that love us and support us because we got to honor them because they're Geeks of the Week. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rock and Ron Runyon, Freeform Rock Podcast, Joseph Capone, Darren Parkin, Brent, Brent Tibbetts, Kevin Williams, Thunderfuck and the Dan- Deadly Romantics, Andy Rodriguez, Al Horta, Mark Alden Taylor, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, The Rock and Metal Profs Podcast, Pantheon Podcast, Laura Atkins, Simon Cat, Thor Bjorn Olson, Matt Porter, David Glenn, Shay Hargett, Shane Abair, Kenneth Roy, BJ Cramp, Mike Parnell, Keith Rockford, Sit and Spin with Joe, Doug Fox, JJ McElhenney, Hakon Bergstad, Bill Hale, Mikhail Burrell, Chad Leesener, Nick Minow, Jeff Taylor, Vet Halen, Gregory Muse, Kevin's on Fire, Kristen Schimbeck, David Cathy, Scott Crouch, and as always, the Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people, our geeks of the week. They shared last week's episode, and they get to have their names read right here. They're famous, podcast famous. 
It's good enough, right? I hope so. Because we love reading your names. So if you hear this week's episode, which is a really cool one, it's something new we're doing. It's Decibel Geek on Assignment. You share it this week, next week, we're going to read your name because you're going to be a geek of the week. So you ready to get into this? Something new we're trying out. Yeah, and let's bring in our uh, special guest this week to kind of be our guinea pig for uh, the, the first person to put us on assignment. Fellow Pantheon podcast member and uh, host of the awesome show, The Hook Rocks, Mr. Jay Scott. Jay, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. How are you guys doing? I feel like I'm Neil Armstrong. I'm walking on the moon. This is the first time you guys are, are doing this. It's like I'm like the experiment. That's right. And when we did this, we said, you know, let's do a show where we review an album. But not just some album we pick, because everybody already knows what we love. Let's let somebody we know and respect pick an album and force us to talk about it. Put us on assignment. And we're going to go through, we're going to grade it, and we're going to figure it out, see if it's great, see if it's not great, see if it's terrible. And we thought, you know, this is a great idea. But what happens if we have a guest and they try to assign us some kind of terrible album? Man, that's not going to work. And Chris said, you know what? Let's look at our Pantheon brothers and sisters. Who's out there? Jay Scott. He's got an awesome podcast called The Hook Rocks. He won't let us down. He will make us review an excellent album. And you know what? Chris was right. You didn't let us down because today we're talking about the third studio album by a band called The Marvelous Three. I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably already know about this band. The album's called Ready, Sex, Go. And we are on assignment. So, Jake, give us the story about why this was the one you wanted to uh, assign us. Well, first of all, it is a fantastic album. I mean, it is a 10 out of 10. And I would even go as you know as far to say this is one of the best rock albums of all time and it's unknown and not a lot of people know this band not a lot of people um know the history of where this band came from uh but also more important to me how much i've connected with butch walker's solo career and in my opinion he's one of the best songwriters of modern day rock music and modern music uh, he writes, obviously, great solo material. I like the fact that from Marvelous 3 and even before when he was in South Gang, uh, he evolves with their with the listener, right? So as I've gotten older, his music still connects with me. And, you know, I was kind of a late to the party with Butch. I saw him on a solo tour like 15 years ago, connected to it, started to go through the back catalog of stuff with South Gang and a Marvelous Marvelous Three with the Floyds, which is another band that he did, and into his solo stuff. Plus, a lot of people don't know that he's a big time producer. And, you know, one of the things that he has said while he performs is producing is his beer money for when he goes out on tour because he knows he's not going to make a lot of money touring, but he's making a lot of money producing Pink, Keith Urban, Train, you name it, he's done it. And I just want to spotlight him and this great album because I think it's one of the best albums of all time. Nice. Nice. Yeah, me, I, I knew about South Gang. It was like one of those bands. It was like at the end of kind of like the end of high school, I had a buddy 
that was getting the South Gang CDs. And used to listen to that and jam on it and just love it. And then South Gang broke up, but then you'd see in Metal Edge where they'd be talking about like funk, uh, Floyd's Funk Revival. And I think that then became Floyd's and then went into Marvelous 3. And I was like, okay, you know, this is the guitar player from South Gang. You know, this has got to rock. It's got to be good. And I remember when Marvelous 3 first came out, man, I was really into it. And then by the time this album came out, I was working on radio. So I felt good about playing the single off this album when it was new. So that's how I know about the Marvelous Three. Yeah, and and for me, they were real peripheral at the time. Um, like I remember when um, Freak of the Week, you know, was on the radio because I mean that song had some decent success at the time. And but I'd never like put it together of who was the guy behind it, or I just thought it was another great pop rock song that was out. And then I I was familiar with a couple songs off this one. Um, I didn't. I've never owned it, but. Sugar Buzz, which we'll get into, you know, the track by track breakdown as we go along. But that song, I remember Nashville actually played that one quite a bit when it was out. I, it did get decent airplay at the time here. Um, but then as far as Butch goes, I kind of got into him th- like Jay through the solo stuff, you know, as far as knowing really who he was. And then I found out about South Gang on the Metal Sludge gossip board. But the funny thing is, is like I grew up in uh, part of my childhood in Kennesaw, Georgia, and um, turns out Butch and South Gang was from like the next county over. And it, they were kind of, I think at the time I was growing up there, they were putting the band together and they took off for L.A. at the time. But I don't, I mean, I was just a kid. I don't remember. I wasn't following rock bands at the time. But I didn't know about South Gang really during those days. And then Metal Sludge, you know, people like, wow, this was kind of a lost gem. And, um, mm-hmm. But they never got much airplay on MTV or anything. But I, I, I went back and on YouTube, obviously YouTube's a, treasure trove of all this stuff that you missed the first time but you know got into him through his solo stuff and then kind of went backwards to marvelous three and south gang but um more familiar with the first two records than this one um and from what i gather uh this album kind of came about when they were in the middle of kind of a battle with their record label uh at the time and so they were just kind of they had to just put something out but then they wind up putting out you know 14 pretty great songs you know and i you know i get aaron and i each are going to give these a letter grade there's a couple songs on here i'm not super crazy about but overall it's it's a really really strong album yeah it's solid all the way through for sure what is amazing about butch's career is south gang came at the tail end of the 80s bands um and, you know they, they were in the period where you know when you went to the bookstore and they had the magazine rack and you grab, you know, hip parader or circus or um, metal edge. You'd see all the new bands that they would talk about. Right. And it used to be where you heard the bands on the radio and then you went and got the latest issue of the magazine and you'd see a picture of them. Whereas as the decade wore on and into the early nineties, it became more like, okay, these guys look, like they're supposed to look in this genre. Let's put them in the magazine. And I would be like, I've never even heard a song from these guys, whether it was Hurricane Alice or whether it was these other bands that were coming out. And it kind of flipped. And I think that was the beginning. Well, there were a lot of things going on for, for years why 80s rock died. But when it got to that point where bands were being signed more about their looks than how they could play. Now, South Gang could play, yeah. but 
What's amazing about that, and Butch has even spoken about this, is that if they would have been two or three years earlier, he probably would not have had the opportunities he's had to reinvent himself. Because let's face it, everyone or mostly everyone from that era has been pigeonholed as not being a good musician, not being able to write a song. And unfortunately for Butch, he was able to redefine himself, whether it was Marvelous 3, which I think was probably, you know, a few years too early. Because I think if this would have came out two or three years later, it would have been gigantic. Um, and then getting into a solo career and his producing, you know, he really didn't shy away from South Gang. But he was I think he's thankful that he wasn't wrapped up in some of those bands that have been unable to kind of get out of that pigeonhole that they were placed in by either you know the music business or fans or whatever. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, but I mean, listening to this, and you know, we'll go through each song. But like, I don't know this, the, and the way with Butch that Butch is is like, well, this album in particular, as an overview of it for me, when I listen to it, there's a lot of stuff I can hear in here where it's almost kind of like, you know, I know he didn't want to get pigeonholed in the hair metal thing, but I could hear a lot of these songs being adapted to that style. You know, they're they're the hooks and and the melodies and the guitar riffs are there. Yeah. But he modernized it for the times, you know. There's uh, there's some production stuff thrown in here, where it's it's kind of like a. I'm not going to say it's a glam metal album wrapped in the early 2000s, but you can hear elements of the, the South Gang days coming through in this stuff too. And obviously, it's there's a lot of love letter stuff to like 70s rock too that we'll get into also. But I mean, power pop is I guess the main classification I would give to this record. Yeah, I would say so, too. And for those that don't know, South Gang kind of morphed into this band. It's every member of South Gang except for the lead singer. And Butch, who is a phenomenal guitar player in his own right, is also a great singer. He took over the vocals. So it's basically South Gang minus Jesse Hart, who was the singer for South Gang. That's right. Yeah. So I guess start at the front cover. It's kind of an eye-grabbing thing going on on there. It always kind of confused me. I couldn't tell, is that a mannequin or what's going on? But it's a chick. She's leaned back. She's got her hand down in front of her, but placed just perfectly. So you can't really, you got to let your imagination run unless you buy the disc, is the sticker on the CD that blocks her uh, belower area. <laughs> It's got bright red and blue, and it pops when you see it. It's got, like, Grand Theft Auto-style font for the name and the title of the album. It's an eye-catching thing. Do you know anything about the album cover? Is that a chick? Is it a, is it a mannequin? I mean, do you know anything about I've, it? I've heard it was a mannequin. Okay. Um, it's, it's, but it does play with the eyes a little bit because it's... I don't know if they, you know, did the mannequin up, you know, applied more makeup or whatever, but um, it's definitely, I, I think it's a mannequin. I think it is. Because you look at it, it's like something's not proportionately right here. Like it almost like the hands are backwards or something. It's just right. a really weird looking album cover. But at the time, you know, if you're a young kid in 2000 and you're flipping through CDs looking for something that's going to grab your eye, that one's probably going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, and then and I I post it. I just every day I'll put like this is my morning. My, I'll put an album cover up and say morning coffee soundtrack. And I did that today. I didn't spoil what we were doing or anything. I just wanted to see what people said about it. And uh, 
lot of love for this record. A lot of yeah. lot of people have great memories of this band and this record and Butch. And then, but then there's several people like I don't know who that is. I don't know what that is, but I love the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you say go listen. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I noticed this. It, this one is not on any streaming service. Like it, it's a hard record to find. I wonder if that's intentional or, or if it's because of record company politics. Do you know anything about why it's so hard to find? You know, you can definitely find it. The physical copy is out there, mm-hmm. so you can definitely find it there. As far as the streaming services go, um, why you can't stream it? I know Butch lost his house several years ago in a fire. Yeah, um, probably about. 15 years ago, maybe 16 years ago. Uh, and he lost a lot of masters uh, in that fire. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but it very well likely could. I, again, I, I'm only speculating, so I don't know, but I think, you know, he lost a lot in that fire, lost all his guitars, everything. Um, the fires in, I think it was Malibu. I think he was living at Flea's house at the time. And he was in Nashville or Georgia producing an album and that's when the fires came in and and that's what inspired the album Sycamore Meadows one of his great solo albums yeah that's a good record all right so do we want to get into the songs and our thoughts and our grades for these songs sure man let's do it let's do it all right there's a lot of songs on this album I like that right off the bat you can't overkill me with great songs if you want to put 13 or 14 tracks on an album and the songs are all above average I'm cool with that. So kick off the album with a song called Little Head. And I know for me, because I actually have the CD that I got from the radio station when I worked there. It's still got like the promotional stamp on the front of it. And I haven't listened to it for a long time. And Jay, when you said this is the album we're doing, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I've got that. I know I do. So I still got the, uh, my CDs still kind of packed up because I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to display them. But I had to go back into my boxes and dig it out. So it's kind of hard to find unless, you know, your CDs are all over. You can find them. But I definitely got mine. But I put this thing in knowing that I was a fan of Butch Walker, knowing that I was a fan of South Gang. I've had this album for years, and it's been a long-ass time since I listened to it. And honestly, could only remember the song Sugar Buzz because it got played on radio. But when I put it in and hit play, man, the first thing that jumps out at me is the guitar tone and the production and this one's produced by butch walker and jerry finn and jerry finn as a producer kind of tells you a lot about what this album's all about so he's known at the time for his experience with pop punkish bands like green day the offspring and one uh, and blink 182 but he's also worked up at this point as the engineer on slashes it's five o'clock somewhere that's kind of telling to me because the opening track is a perfect example because it's like, boy, what was popular at that time? Like Eve 6, but with a lot edgier guitars, you know, a little more of a hook to it. And it's got awesome drums, um, cowbells in the first song. There's some cool studio magic going on in here. This really shows how experimental that Butch Walker could be in the studio as a producer and why he has gone on to do so many awesome things in production in the first song there's a line that goes i'm always at your show and then it says in the very back row but in the very back row sounds like it's being hollered from the back of an arena somewhere so they're adding in these little studio tricks and things that i really like a lot and you know a song like this blink 182 we're still getting hits with songs like this in the early 2000s i don't see why this one 
and I'm probably going to say it about just about every song on the album, I don't see why this one wasn't released as a single. I feel like in the early 2000s, this would have been a song you could hear on radio. It'd be on the rock station and maybe the pop station. Just a little scratch, but it feels like you did When you're falling off the short bus and landing on your head Yeah, I felt a little low When you told me where to go Well, for me, it's the. I think it's a perfect album opener. I, I love it. it. It just grabs you kind of by the throat right when you first start hearing it. And the guitar playing, like you said, Aaron, it's like super yeah. aggressive. And like it's got this real edgy tone to it. Um, and I'm, you know, usually there's pre-choruses to songs that just kind of let me down. But this one's an exception. The pre-chorus on this song is absolutely perfect. Um, the chorus, it's punchy, it's catchy. And then it's got that cool breakdown near the end of the song. Uh, I give it an A plus. I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with this song at all, and it's perfect to lead the record nice. off. For me, this really sets the tone for the album. It's like a fighter jet taken off, and it just grabs you and takes you on a ride. Uh, the chorus, the harmonies um, are just great. I mean, I'm not really a big guy into those shouting harmonies. You know, like everybody's like shouting or chanting, but this, it works on this song. It really does. Um, the guitar work is fine. It is fantastic. The hooks are, you know, incredible. I mean, it's just like one after the other, it just keeps pulling you in and pulling you in. Um, I, I give it an A plus, you know, I, I agree with Aaron on the production of the whole album. And this is really the birth of, of Butch as a producer, because you know, after this album, which we'll continue to talk about, uh, he did Left to Self-Centered, which pretty much was like the fourth Marvelous 3 album. But that both this album and Left to Self-Centered really impressed studios because he started to market himself more as a producer or producer or music studios were asking, record companies were asking who produced this album. And it was Butch. And that's how he got the Avril Lavigne. That's how he got Pink. That's how he got all those uh, production deals in, in the very beginning, but this song, Little Head, I mean, man, it's like a punch. It just takes off and just brings you along. All right. That's pretty damn good scoring right there for the very first song on the album. Then that brings us up to track two, which is a song called Grant Park. Go and take a ride to a shop in Grant Park. You can walk through the door, shove the knife in her heart. When you tell her that you can't stand the song anymore. And you know, again here, this one leads into kind of what I was saying about the last song. Really doing some pretty interesting stuff in the studio as far as like incorporating audio effects 
into the music. You know, and a lot of times I go, man, I don't want to hear no audio effects in my music. I want it straight up rock, guitars, drum, bass, singer, good to go. But the way this band does it and the way the production is done and the mixing and everything, there's some studio stuff, some some background noises and things going on in these songs, but they're all kind of buried in there. It adds to the thickness of the song and adds to the lushness of the song, but it's not so overpowering that it takes away from it. The guitars on Grant Park are cool as hell, man. Butch does some really great stuff with his voice. I don't think he gets enough credit as being a great singer, but this album, as we go through, you're going to find that Butch Walker's a hell of a singer and a hell of a songwriter, man. I love the clever-ass lyrics in this song where it kind of tells a story. I think that's really cool. And like I said, you know, with everything going on on the surface and a little bit deeper than that, there's a lot of layers to this. It's another song I think is pretty damn cool. I'm going to give this one a B also. Cool. Yeah, this one, uh, like you said, yeah, the, the sound effects were, that was like, it, that became a hallmark for that era, I think. And, um, you know, he was, I think he was a part of p- the people that pushed that. But they don't, like you said, they don't take away from the song. The I like the swagger in the main riff on the song. And, uh, Jay, you may not like the gang vocal thing, but I do. So I, I think the gang vocals on this are really cool. Uh, the, the lyrics are clever and funny. There's some nostalgia thrown in with like references to MacGyver and stuff. And, um, the drum sound is huge on this song. I love the drum sound on this one. Uh, the only thing it loses marks for, for me is it's got a lack of a solo. And I think this song was begging for a, like a shredding solo. I would have loved to have heard a solo on this one. Um, but I'd still give it a B plus. I was kind of surprised at that. Listening to the first two tracks, neither one of them have guitar solos. And I've always kind of looked at Butch Walker as like a guitar hero. And the first couple of songs rolling into this album, I'm going, where's the ripping guitar solos? Yeah, you don't get one on this one either. I love this tune as well. What I love about the opening of this album, as we begin with Little Head into Grant Park, is the songs are very intertwined with each other as it continues. Yes. And I think if you listen to the first four, especially are all intertwined. If you listen to all four, it kind of carries you through from that liftoff of little head into grand park. And I think if you listen to it by itself, I think maybe it loses something, but when you listen to it, as it keeps coming in from little head into this, cause they kind of are mixed as one fades out, the other one starts up. So that's an interesting way of producing. Right. And, and it was kind of different because not a lot of bands ever did that. So I do think it has that effect. I know it doesn't have guitar solos, but what strikes me is Butch really is a great melody writer. I mean, he really can write a beautiful melody um, and turn it into an anthem, which is pretty much what this song is. Um, I also think, too, you talk about the cleverness of his lyrics. Butch is incredible at that you know it's almost like it's almost like he's rapping at the same time with the way the clever lyrics are and the give it in the in the push and pull and the tongue-in-cheek of of the lyrics um and the kind of the way he kind of you know delivers sometimes the lyrics you could you could put that delivery in a, in a rap song so that's also a very interesting take too as well i give it an a um just because like i said coming in from little head into grand park it just it just keeps going. I mean, it's like, you know, the first four songs are like that live show that you see where the band comes out and starts kicking your ass for the first few songs before they kind of settle in a groove. And I think that's what this album is doing. 
All right. So then that brings us up to the third track, which is a tune called Get Over. Now, this is the third breakup song in a row on the album. (laughs) Something going on in Butch Walker's heart at this time, and it's not good. But this song, man, there's, there's something about this song. It makes me feel like if this song was released in a different time and had, like, different production, this could have been, like, one of the biggest pop rock songs of the 80s. Like, if you take that, say, for example, like... Like a mid-80s MTV mega-hit quality song here because it's got, it's got that melody and everything that, was, that worked so good back then. And I'm thinking, like, you know, who, would, who could have done this song? But it could have been anybody, like the Pet Shop Boys or Corey Hart or somebody like that who was top 40 that was young and would be getting played on MTV in the mid-80s. I think you take this song... And this is, again, another testament to Butch Walker. Like, if I'm in charge of a band and I say, you guys are a great band, you got everything going for you, but you need a hit single. If they came to me and said, hey, money's no option, no option, go find somebody to write a hit single, man, you kind of got to go with Butch Walker because, I mean, the stuff he's writing, the stuff he's writing, I, every single one of these songs I hear and go, man, this could have been a single. This one could have been a single too. This one also could have been a single. Everything's so catchy and the guitars are just right and the band is on fire and everything is so catchy. I just, I don't, I listen to this and I don't understand how this band wasn't massive. There's, I think this song by somebody else could have been massive, but for some other, re- for some reason, it doesn't really work for me with Marvelous Three doing it. This is my lowest grade so far. I'm giving this one a C. Oh, all right. Well, we, we're gonna differ on this one. <laughs> but, I uh, so when I heard it, this, I'll, I was like, Chris Sinzak's yeah. gonna love this song. <laughs> yeah, you know me too well. Um, Although the it, it the the sequencing is a little weird on this song because the intro almost sounds identical to Grant Park, like it it, it's, it sounds like almost the same the beginning of the same song, but either way it's it's you know my notes say hooky catchy goodness and it's uh, the chorus is like the perfect power pop chorus that that this song is made for being played in a giant arena, uh, it's and uh, and I even put in the notes I was like this will sound funny but with a few tweaks I could see a band like South Gang doing this song I think yeah. it would have been perfect for one of the hair bands to play back in the day um but also uh, it it only loses a little bit cuz again I wish it had a solo I gave it an A minus wow um again butch with a beautiful melody to really start 
the song off into these power chords and this chunk. Then he goes into a, a great subtle delivery approach of the vocals as you know, the guitars are going are fading and he comes in with the vocals. This song, like you said, defines power pop. It should be played in arenas. It should have been huge. Any one of the bands, whether it's Bon Jovi or Def Leppard, they could be they could they could have had this song too as well and, and have been a big hit. It should have been huge. In fact, this is one of my top two or three songs on the album. And it continues from those first two songs, Little Head, Into Grant Park, into those songs that are intertwined, that if they opened up a show and started off with these first four songs, man, like you'd be sweating, you'd be having your fists in the air, you'd be jumping up and down, you'd be having a grand old time, and it would set the tone for the whole show. Um, just a remarkable song, again, with you know the breakup stuff, which is really good. Um, at this moment in his career, writing these types of songs... Um, and he still is very good. A different perspective as he's gotten older. But, you know, for, for a guy, I think that he was probably in his mid to late 20s at the time, you know, living in L.A. and, and uh, you know, the scene changing. Um, I, I think he really adapted well with this style. And, yes, you know, as you guys have said, I think Aaron really touched on it, too, as well. It has elements of 80s rock. It, I mean, you, I mean, it cannot be denied. Right. It just I mean, if you put this album out in 86, 85 and MTV and they had longer hair, it would have been a gigantic hit. It didn't think so. It came out probably eight years too late or two years too early, because if you look at bands like Lit and you look at bands like American Hi-Fi and all that stuff, this album is really the 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 godfather of of those albums and a lot of those guys were produced by butch so you know there's the connection but i love this song I, again the first four the way they songs inter interact and intertwine with each other i think it's it's remarkable i think you bring up a really great point too about how this band is kind of you think well maybe they were a little bit ahead of their time and then you stop, you hear a song like this, and you go, well, you know, maybe they were a little bit behind their time. Mm -hmm. You know, they really fluctuate in between of this apparently works everywhere except in the year 2000. Right. You know, so for whatever reason, this album wasn't massive. But, I mean, they got the songs, man. They got the songs. Everything on here is so catchy. And that brings us up to track four which was the single. I remember working at Z104 in Wisconsin and being excited when this CD comes across. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, Marvelous 3. And they're like, you know who this is? I was like, yeah, man, I know this band. And they go, okay, well, the song is Sugar Buzz, and that's what you're going to be playing. And for a minute, and I don't know if it's just the, the classic American thing, you know, hot one minute, cold the next, this song was super hot and highly requested for a little while on the radio station that I worked at. To me, I love it. It's uplifting. It's a rebellious song. Again, clever-ass lyrics. I love the Lita Ford tribute in it, you know, and it's got just the, this killer guitar hook, and I really like it when it comes in on the acoustic, but it's it's not your typical acoustic. It's like a, a fuzz acoustic, and it's so unique and cool-sounding that it makes this song really kind of a one-of-a-kind thing with this amazing groove. And like I said, it was pretty popular when it came out. I like this song a lot. I'm going to give this one a B. Well, I started this story in the middle of the page. I remembered the lines and forgot my age. When somebody said my attitude was snotty. 
That's when you call and say get out tonight I'll catch a late night movie on a late night flight I'll be getting real drunk and making fun of everybody Ain't nobody gonna get me down Something must have gone around Hey, you can speak the sign of your ass The one that says it Like I mentioned earlier, this one, this got a lot of airplay in Nashville, at least for a little bit. Like you, you make a good point for a little while. And I think that might be where some of the record company battle might have screwed up, screwed them up because with the right promotion, I think it would have been so much bigger. And I think it might've been something where the record company probably just threw it out there and it did what it did just on its own momentum, but there wasn't a giant promo push for them to go to that next level which is a damn shame because this this should have been a humongous radio hit. Um, it was it was kind of more of a minor hit, but I remember get, it getting regular air, airplay for a few weeks. But uh, I love the snotty attitude that's in the lyrics. You know, it's it's kind of it's, it's written from like a smart ass perspective, or, or you know, you're not gonna fuck with me type type vibe. Um, I thought the line "roses and sake" is kind of funny though. I mean, I, I was like. He's, you know, what rhymes with cocky? Saki. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But, um, and it's, this one does have a solo. It's more of a guitar figure, but it's a decent solo. And I'm just like Aaron. I gave it a B. I love how this album continues on after Get Over because Get Over is a power pop, you know, uh, you know, song, but the influences. And then this song starts off with a very bluesy tone. And you're kind of, and it's different than the other ones because you kind of, don't expect this, right? Because Little Head is like this punkish anthem, you know, and then Grant Park is like this, you know, Queen style type song. And then into the power pop too as well. And then into like this bluesy groovy feel when it first starts. And then the smart ass lyrics and the tongue in cheek lyrics of the songs, Roses and Saki is referring to Guns and Roses and a, and a different, you know, and a different reality. I mean, what's he talking about? And Bush, Butch's writing style Although it has gotten a lot more introspective as he's grown in his career, there's still some songs on his albums that have that tongue-in-cheek, smart-ass type of style. And I love that because there's not – I don't know if there's anyone that that does it like him that with that approach. And pulling things, like you said, the Lita Ford tribute, like how does he think of this stuff and, and bring it into song? Um, that's what makes him so unique and so remarkable. Out of the four in the beginning, this is probably my lowest rated one. I give this one a B. B's all the way around, and we're cooking right through this album. That brings us up to track number five. This one's called Supernatural Blonde. I like this one a lot. It's got upbeat, kind of rocking tune. It's a little bouncy, pop rock. It's got cool-ass lyrics. This one has got a guitar solo and a damn good one, too. It's a great band that writes great songs. I mean, catchy, catchy, catchy. You'd think every one of these would be fit for a single, but this one, my favorite song on the album so far, I'm going to give it a B.
I love this one. It, it's really, it's just a fun, hooky, bouncy tune. Um, more in line, I think, with what was going on at the time a little bit. I, I, think I could hear some other bands from that era doing this song. Um, the some of the lyrics I love, like stripper with braces. I mean, who comes up with that right. stuff? You know, it's almost like you know, and, and it like stylistically very different. But he reminds me of Alice Cooper a little bit in some of the clever turns of phrases that he uses in some of his songs, especially from from this era. Um, another thing, I love guitar power slides. You know, the and he does a ton of that on this song, and uh, that's kind of a that harkens back to the old you know eighties arena rock thing uh he does that through the whole chorus and then the, there's like this walk down riff that they do on the bridge that's really cool the guitar solo on this is really good yeah. now is is he the one playing the lead parts on all this yes yeah he's a hell of a guitar player but yeah this song is really fun i gave it a b plus yeah this this song has a lot of different elements into it too as well i mean it's got that punkish style that kind of reminds me a little bit of little head and then it's got like the solid gold type of groove to it, you know, after like the, you know, the, the initial intro to the song. And it's kind of like a little bit disco-y too. Um, it's, it's got some cool elements. The lyrics are great. I mean, this is a fun song to listen to. This song could have been played at a club, um, you know, and mixed to, to, you know, to at a dance club if, if someone really wanted to do it because it's got elements in it. I love the breakdown in the middle of the song where, Butch keeps, you know, walking that ladder of, of, of singing and approach to how he's delivering the lyrics. Um, it's, it's a very good tune. I give it an A minus, not quite perfect, but pretty much. And, and again, his guitar playing is very underrated. Um, when you do see him live, you really do appreciate his uh, sense of rhythm, his sense of timing. Uh, and uh, his leads are just absolutely incredible. Yeah, for sure. It's about time he starts breaking it out on this album. That's a good one right there. All right, so that brings us up to track number six. This is a tune called Radio Tokyo. First thing I think of when I hear this is, well, gee, I wonder if Butch Walker was influenced by Queen at all. <laughs> and it also makes me wonder if bands like My Chemical Romance were listening to Marvelous 3 albums when they were trying to figure out what they were going to be eventually. Because, I mean, this a song like this... Again, you know, I don't know what it is. I I love Marvelous 3. I think this album's really good. But like so many of these songs, it's like, why wasn't it a hit? And if a different band would have done a song like this, would it be a hit? One thing I can tell you about this song, it's got a ripping, ripping ass guitar solo on it. Just freaking wails, man. If anybody ever questions the guitar rip-ability of Butch Walker, you can play him a song like Radio Tokyo. Which, you know, overall I wasn't a huge fan of the song. Guitar solo kind of brings it up a little bit. It was sitting at a C. But man, that guitar solo is something else. I got to bump it up to a B.
Oh man, I absolutely. This is one of my favorite songs on the record. I think this song is amazing. Uh, you know, it's got that soft melodic piano intro, and which that you know reminds me a little bit more of the stuff he's doing more nowadays. You know, it, I could definitely hear that as the beginning of one of his songs. But then, of course, it takes off from there. It's got you know, it's a fist pumping power pop arena rock guitar riff, um, especially on the chorus, and then. There's a, and I just even in my notes almost a Queen influence on the on the verses with you know the way he he delivers the vocals on the verses a very Freddie Mercury style. There's a lot of '70s rock in this. I hear Queen, I hear the Beatles, I hear Bowie, uh, I hear all of that on here, and you know and yeah, not to mention the guitar solo, Jesus, and the way that it picks up the pace to you know set the foundation for the guitar solo is a really creative thing that he did. So uh, yeah, this was this gets one of the only A pluses on the record for me. Yeah, it's a fantastic song, and I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said with the influences. I mean, you can hear Beatles, Bowie, you know, that that English power pop, definitely in this song. I think this song and Get Over are really heavy into that stuff. Um, I love the subtleties, too, as well, especially in the beginning. And again, you know, his guitar work is absolutely fantastic. There's not much more I can add to what you guys have already said, but I give this an A as well just a fantastic song and to your point aaron you know what when you say like you know why wasn't this song huge and you know and if any band could have done it i don't know if it's if any band could have could have done it i think it's the yeah. timing of the album i think what was going on behind the scenes i mean we've seen bands i mean we're pretty much you know close in age within the same decade or whatever we've seen plenty of bands go to die with a great album if the record company doesn't want to get off their ass and promote it you know i mean you know you think of bands like ynt you think of anyone that was on AM records in the 80s i mean that's where bands went to die you know um the only reason why extreme you know became so popular in AM is because they had the song more than words which in my opinion ruined their career because yeah. they broke with the wrong song um but but i think it has everything to do with what the record company wants to do with an album and with this, it's just either there was some politics behind. Maybe they didn't jive with their, you know, the person that's pushing their stuff off the radio. Maybe there was a conflict. I don't know the full story, but I think it has more to do with that. Because when you listen to it, your mouth drops. Like you've got the first six songs, right? From the first four we talked about into Supernatural Blonde, into Radio Tokyo, that rival anything that has been released in 20 years before that right in terms of quality in terms of production songwriting hooks riffs lyrics why and i think it's that electra records at the time maybe was passed or didn't understand what was about to come in music and they dropped the ball because this yeah. album should have been a top 10 album just in in, in their sleep and then maybe yeah. they just didn't want to do anything with it and and to Aaron's point, you, you brought up My Chemical Romance, and I can't believe I didn't yeah. think of that too. My Absolutely. God, what a spot on observation! Because I could completely hear My Chemical Romance doing that. Song. Yeah, good call on that. Probably wouldn't be as good though. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those. We know of all these albums that we've listened to from our youth to now, and I think a lot of the reasons why bands are not thought of you know more highly is because yeah. record companies usually drop the ball. Because, listen, we listen to a lot, lot of great music, right? We do these pod, 
podcast because we're music fans and we're music lovers. I'd like to think with all the years we've listened to music, we know what's right. good yeah. and we know what's not. Right. I mean, we, we, we all have our individual tastes. Sure. But when you hear an album like this with all the elements of radio friendly hits, yeah, the record company didn't do their job. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. There's no other way to do it. And, and maybe some of the lyrics in there, too. Maybe we're not radio friendly. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I, I don't know. You can censor that stuff out. or You can record an alternate version, you know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right. We'll keep moving along up to track number seven. Song's called Cold as Hell. And it's another upbeat pop rock song with, it's got, like I said, about every one of these. It's got the great guitar tone. And again, I don't think Butch Walker gets enough credit as a vocalist. You know, we've talked about how he's kind of an underrated guitar player. When people talk about the greats, they don't really usually throw Butch Walker in there. And when you're talking about great vocalists, I mean, maybe sometimes Butch Walker don't get mentioned in there either when he should. But this is a great example of him. You know, this guy, he can he can shadow Freddie Mercury. He can do Robin Zander pretty good. This song, I think, is a little mixture of both. Oh, she took a lightsaber to my heart. Then she picked my brain with a pocket knife She said, say what's on your mind So I said, I'm kinda hungry and you ain't my type She said I was cold as hell But hell's not cold, I know, I know Cause I've been there for the last half hour or so And the devil said it never It's an all right song. I don't think it's the best one on the album. Maybe bottom on this one. I'm going to give it, I still like it. You know, so far, nothing's got a D or an F, but I'm going to give this one a C. Good uh, observation with the Robin Zander thing, because like in my notes, I, I was like, between the, the vocals and the Thin Lizzy-ish twin guitar solo, I, I, I put that this sounds kind of like if Cheap Trick and Thin Lizzy had a baby. Uh, that's what this song kind of came out like. Um, it's incredibly well mixed. It grabs you right away. The chorus harmonies are great, but, uh, you know, I guess this is what, this is one I would probably, I guess, call killer filler. It's, it's not, it's, I would, I, this is one I would not release as a single probably, but I still gave it a B. It's got a star Wars reference. I mean, that's true. I mean, anything with a star Wars reference in a hard rock song is at least a B <laughs> bare minimum, right? I took a lightsaber to your heart. I mean, yeah. come on, dude. I yeah, mean, that's pretty great. You know, I mean, we're talking <laughs> yeah. Jedi this stuff. This logic works. In a, in a rock song. This, this logic you works know? For me. I mean, yes. So <laughs> I like it too. I mean, is it strong as the first six songs on the uh, on the album? No, um, but I give it probably a, a B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. I, I like it. It is catchy. I think... Butch maybe was trying to get a little too cute in this, but uh, I still enjoy it. It's still a good tune. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, we're moving right along, man. We're just a little over halfway, if you can believe that. This is a big old album, man, full of good stuff. The next song is track eight. It's called Beautiful. This one is, I guess, I don't know. If I listen to the whole thing, I think, okay, this is the one that you know maybe would have been like a second single or something if they'd have been able to release it. It's, I hate to say it, it's kind of like a cheesy ballady kind of song. 
And the further along the album I get, the more, you know, like I said, I wonder why this album wasn't huge. And we talked about it a little bit. They're doing the kind of rock songs that could be played on top 40 stations at the same time as they're getting spun on the rock stations. Better than the bands that were scoring big hits with these types of songs at this time. And I think you alluded to it, Jay, and I read this too that after the album wasn't super successful, the band asked for their release from their record contract with who Bush referred to as Neglectra. (laughs) (laughs) That is fantastic. Yeah. Sums it up, doesn't it? (laughs) There's your answer right there. Neglectra. That's great. I'm going to give this one, I mean, it's just kind of okay, I guess, compared to the rest. I'm going to give this one a C also. one i um i think this song comes off a little bit more in step with the times you know blink 182 some 41 or whatever band with a number you want to attach it to um you know it but it's better that it's it's done better than those bands would have done it but i it's got that pop crossover type potential i i could hear this on a movie soundtrack for sure um but yeah when i hear this i, I it sounds like the early 2000s to me um not a bad song but uh, i gave it a c plus yeah, you make a good point on that, man, because like here we are in the early 2000s. They got a number in the name and everything. I mean, what's it take to make it? Very true. I lived with a band called 924 during this period, so <laughs> that definitely uh, is uh, is there. Um, yeah, I probably rate this probably the lowest um, song on the album. Uh, you know, it, it's sometimes, yeah, it's great to have this many songs on an album but sometimes i think if if a band cuts two or three i think the quality um is but i'd rather hear 10 11 songs that are just freaking absolutely incredible which up until this point i think we do where this one kind of takes a little bit of a dip and i think if you know this one didn't make the album if it was you know one of the songs that you know maybe was a b-side to a single or in one of the extras on a limited edition anniversary disc i think it'd be cool but you know this was that was the the a sign of the time back then you know 13 14 songs on an album throughout this album like you said you know you know songs remind you of thin lizzy or cheap trick had a baby or queen and all that stuff butch is a fan of music and that really comes through with everything he does from his solo stuff with how he performs the covers he does i mean if, if you've ever seen the youtube video of him doing bohemian rhapsody it is absolutely stellar. Um, it's young in his solo career, but he is a fan of music and it shows. And I think when you get to the middle of this record, it really does. He's really kind of pouring out his influences. The band is pouring out his influences. I give this one a C, not one of my favorites, still a good song, but 
if it was not on the record, I don't think I'd all miss right. it. All right. I think we're all pretty much kind of on the same wavelength here with this album so far. Mm-hmm. This is the part where everyone goes, Aaron Camaro, you're freaking nuts. Because the next track is a song called I'm Losing You. And I freaking love this song. <laughs> I did not expect you to so say it starts that. Out with, it starts I out with it kind of like this dance music kind of a beat. It's got this vibe to it. But then it mixes in like this really sexy, kind of sleazy, raunchy guitar hook to it. And it's the guitar is just amazing in it. There's something weird and special about this song that really sets it apart from everything else we've heard so far. I mean, it's got more clever-ass lyrics. It's got a super memorable chorus. And this, I think, is my favorite song on the album. And it's the heaviest song on the album. I give it an A. Dancer back in 81 Snorting whiskey, drinking coke And having lots of fun Like to take her to the parties But she'd leave alone It's hard to cover up the smell of sex When back Well, I give my grade is different than you, but I kind of had the same thoughts on it though, because like it's a it's definitely the big oddball song on the record. But I, I said disco meets hard rock meets R and B, and but the thing is that like you said, the underlying guitar riff is the heaviest yeah. riff on the entire record. I mean, it's straight up metal. Um, it's not my favorite song, but yet I can't stop listening to it. Like every time it's come up, I've I just I won't skip it. I'm just gonna keep listening to it. Um, but I still I gave it a C plus just because it's so out there and weird. It just I don't know. Uh, it'll that grade will probably climb over time, but it, it's it's definitely an odd. But I did not expect you to, to have that be your Love favorite. It. I'm telling you, you listen to this song, and if you listen to just that song and then turn it off and walk away, that chorus is going to be in your head all day long. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, but when I mentioned with Supernatural Blonde with the discoish, I may have confused that with this song because. I love this tune as well. It's one of my favorites. And it does have that disco vibe. It's even got that sound effect of like a early 80s porn movie, right before yeah. he delivers the, <laughs> the vocals like that. You're going behind the red curtain and you're kind of like, you know, jiving and, and, and getting down. It's got I mean, it just captures a moment with uh with that because you could play it at a club you could play it at a barbecue you could play it wherever and it'll go off like a hit um it is a song where you kind of don't know where it's going to go which is kind of cool because up until this you know you've had those first four songs i mentioned and all that stuff and those are are great songs there's not much of a journey with them though right this one it's like you hear it and you're like all right where's this where's this headed and it's exciting as it unfolds because you're not expecting what you're expecting. It's a very different song. One of my favorites, too, off the album. But, hey, man, if you want to get your groove on, this is definitely the, uh, yeah, the one sure. to do this on this album. Perfect in a strip club. I love the, I love the, I, I know, I love, like, the red curtain 
sound effect as he st- as he starts the first part of the vocals you know like that that like you like you can play that i don't know what you'd call it but it's an effect and you could picture yourself like you know walking into a strip club like behind the curtain or whatever <laughs> and it's like that's the noise that i get from that so yeah. it's so cool yeah, it's really cool man i love to see it's like that. it is debauchery right yeah. i mean this song is like kind of like debauchery i'd love to see a video for it it probably would have got banned yeah. but yes. it would have been awesome <laughs> yeah all right surprises still coming your way on this one i like that so that brings us up to track 10 a song called this time you know to me i hear this song and i go you know it's really no surprise that butch walker is going to go on to have so much success working with artists like keith urban and Katy perry and even taylor swift when he writes these masterfully catchy pop songs i mean were these songs just too poppy for rock I don't know, because if one of those other artists did this song today and released it tomorrow, I got to think it would be a massive hit for them. I was sticking to the sofa when I saw you on the tube. A week ago in solo, now my heart is feeling solo, so I'm overdue. Got an asshole for the This one kind of comes off just a little generic compared to a lot of the other stuff on the album. Maybe it's because it's following I'm Losing You, but I think this one I think is maybe, maybe one of the weaker tracks on the album. I hate to say it, I gave this one a D. Oh, wow. Well, I I love this one. I I think the melody on it's great. It 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 does have lots of effects of the day, but you know, underneath it, it's, it's straight ahead power pop rock. And, uh, the the hook on this song is undeniable. I mean, it's it's a massive hook. The guitars have a really big sound to it. Um, but no, I, I this is one of my favorites on the record. This is where we're going to differ. I gave this an A minus. I I love this one. Yeah, I I love the melody. I love the the structure of the song. But getting back to my earlier point, where I could there's probably two or three songs that if they weren't on the album, I would be okay with, and this is one of them. Um, just because. After, you know, I'm losing you, right, which is such a tr- uh, a cool trip, a cool journey, you kind of like, it's kind of like that bad sequel. It's like Beverly Hills Cop 3, you know, <laughs> where, you know, you're, you're, you're expecting Axel Foley to kind of be in a cool type of story. And you're like, man, it wasn't as good as I'm losing you. It wasn't as, you know, Godfather 3 wasn't as good as Godfather 1 and 2. You know, it's kind of, it, it, it's a bit of a letdown is my point. Um, so a good song. But I give this a C. All right. See, even when they're bad, they're still good on this album, is what it seems. Yeah. Like. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's like pizza, right, yeah. right? It's like even the worst songs are still pretty damn good. So that brings us up to track number 11, and this one's called Better Off Alone. I think this is a great Weezer song. Like, seriously, if you played this for somebody that was a Weezer fan, and be like, hey, man, I got this song that's unreleased by Weezer and you've never heard it before, you're never going to believe it, and you played it for them, 
they probably wouldn't know no better, you know. And so it's really no surprise because Butch goes on to work with Weezer as their producer for 2009's Ratitude and their 2017 album Pacific Daydream. And I mean, a song like this has got to be a pretty good reason to get that gig. You know, if you say, hey, Weezer, I want to help you do something awesome. And if they were familiar with this album, they go, oh, yeah, we know you can do it. We know you can bring it out of us because you got that same kind of sensibility. And, you know, Weezer was around a little bit longer before this album came out. But, boy, this just, I don't know, this it's still a good song. And if it was a Weezer song, I'd say, man, this is one of the better Weezer songs I've ever heard. But it's just, it's so Weezer-like that I really don't want to give it too high of a grade. But like you said, it's still not a bad song. It's actually still a pretty good song. So I'm going to keep this one still right in the middle. I'm going to give it a C. favorite song on the record uh not a not a big fan of this one it's not not that it's a bad that the the fact that that's my least favorite song on the record and it's still a decent song um tells you something but yeah it's the the weezer element is is just right there in your face on this one and it's very of the time um it's just kind of just okay to me it's kind of gimmicky sounding on this one i feel like he i, I feel like he didn't really kind of put his best foot forward on this song i gave this one a d yeah, you know, as we continue on with this record and we we talk about the neglect of Electra, Neglectra, which I love. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the decision to put all these songs was just, you know, hey, we wrote all these songs during a session. Let's just offload them on this album and move on. Maybe they were at this point when they were putting this album together, the sequencing, and maybe these are all the tracks that were recorded to completion during these sessions. Um, again, this is probably the last song where I consider one that probably shouldn't have made on the album. So there's three, this album should probably have 10 or 11 songs. Um, to me, I mean, yeah, I could see the Weezer in, you know, style in this. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of, I kind of get bored with this song. I, I, I don't really have, there's really not a connection with it at this point, and I don't think there's ever been one. So I kind of give this a, a C minus. All right. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Like some of these songs in the end of here, maybe it was like you said, you know, they're they're in the studio, they're putting out this album, they know they're at the end of the road with Electra. Hey, they figure, you know what, this is our last shot. You know, we got these songs. If we don't release them on the album, what are we going to do with them? Where are they going to go? They're just going to disappear. Might as well release them. If this is the last one, put everything into it. You know, give it to your fans one last time. Really good. So then that brings us up to track number 12. We're almost at the end. I hate to say it. This is a song called I Could Change. 
Man, I don't know. I think maybe this is one of those songs, too, that maybe could have been left off the album in favor of something better, or maybe not at all. I mean, it's not bad. It's not great. It really doesn't grab me. They kind of pull off the cheap trick for the new millennia pretty good on this one, but I still feel like this is one of the weaker songs on the album. This one, I'm going to give a D. same mind with this one um i like it better than better off alone but uh you know it's got a good melody the guitars are nice and aggressive the chorus is good but the chorus comes off a little bit more formulaic on this one um it does have a cool guitar solo so uh with that said i'll give it a c plus yeah it's kind of where i'm at with it too i really love the you know the cheap trick style the cheap trick approach of the song you know growing up in chicago you know cheap trick was always around and all you always heard on the local radio station. So I have a, a, a huge appreciation for cheap trick. One of my favorite bands. And um, you really get that style. You really get that influence on that song. So for me, I give it a B minus because of that. All right. And now that brings us up to the final track on the album. Maybe not the final track, but it's the final, it's the final song on the album. And it is exactly as the title implies. Cigarette Lighter Love Song. through this thing they're so damn catchy so poppy and well written again you know performed by another artist in another genre this one could be massive i mean he works with taylor swift hey hey taylor swift do this song number one on the pop charts you know on all the charts it's going to be top of the country top of the pop top of the rock you know it's just he writes these great songs that sound to me 
like they would be hits you know like people can't help but to nod their heads to these things and tap their hands a little bit and step their feet a little you know when you hear it because it's so damn catchy and you know what like i said going through this you know it almost seems like songs are just too poppy for the rock guitar man what a paradox this is man it's it's tough because half of me wants to say a plus on every one of these songs based on how well written they are and then part of me says eh, it's just too damn poppy for me though it hurts my teeth it's too sweet and so and then somewhere in the middle they kind of flow back and forth so with this whole album i think i've given majority of b's and c's with an a and a couple of d's I'm going to keep this one right in the middle, too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just so damn poppy that it might be just a little too sweet for what I like in rock. I like my rock just a little bit heavier than this. But again, you know, you look and they go, they can do heavier stuff that's really cool. They can do punk rock stuff that's really cool. But then, I mean, just the songs are too well written. I think is what's going on here. <laughs> it's too fucking good. I can't handle it. <laughs> but I'm gonna give this one a C. It's so what's your you grade? know again, like I said, what a paradox to be in with this, where you love it, but you know it just comes off a little too poppy sometimes. I love this song, um, and I love it when you know the, he's doing something kind of from a lost era, where when I, when artists would close the album with a ballad, and that used to be kind of the whole experience of a whole th and this is one of those albums where you want to listen to it start to finish as a whole piece and it was a ballads are always a great way to close out a record especially rock records but uh aside from the goofy thing after this but i really hope that butch gave david bowie and ian hunter a shout out on the album credits uh for this song because it's a complete lift of all the young dudes by Mata hoople uh, it, uh the chorus is straight up all the young dudes i mean it's almost a, a direct lift um but i guess if you're going to steal steal from the best because it's a great song but that's his whole bowie uh influence coming out but uh you know, songs like this are, are they're kind of the reason that it's a damn shame this band's not still together because this would be a cool song to hear in an arena live with all the cigarette lighters held up and everything. Um, but uh, no, I gave this one an A. I think it's a really strong way to, to close the record out. Yeah, I was just going to mention that this is another tribute to a great band that, you know, was famous for one hit, yeah. not the Hoople, but yeah. they were so much more. And this album does have that British power pop influence. We've mentioned Bowie, we've mentioned Mop the Hoop, we've mentioned Queen, we've mentioned so many bands. Um, what I love about this tune is just the how it just revs up and just lifts you up. It just, it just, and I know Aaron, you said about, you know, it's too poppy, it's too clean. What I like about that, and I really appreciate when an artist does this, is when the music has these beautiful melodies and this beautiful production and the lyrics have the bite, right? It's like what you're, what you're hearing is different than what he's saying. You know, like, you know, when he's talking about a stripper with braces or he's talking about, you know, all that stuff and it's got this poppy melody in the back, right? You're like, Oh man, this is awesome. I mean, you could put this on in a barbecue and all the moms who come there, they're like, Oh, this is so great. I love the music. And then if they listen to the lyrics, they're like, Oh my God, what are they singing about? So I love, I love when an artist does it and does it right. 
And Butch excels at that. So when you hear that clean power poppy style and you hear the bite in the lyrics, I love that yin and the yang, you know, that contrast that, that artists have. And um, when he does this song now, every once in a while, he'll pull this out on his solo tours. Um, it, uh, it's all piano. He doesn't do it with a band. It's all on piano. And it really does give a different perspective because sometimes when you hear or play a song differently, it, um, it adds to the approach to the song. It adds to, you know, the appreciation that you have for it. Um, I think this is a, a great way to close an album. Um, I think this song should be a hit. Absolutely. Cigarette lighter love song. I don't know if many kids know what that means anymore, but because uh, now it's uh, a yeah. cell phone flashlight song. Uh, yeah, hold or your vape, vape pens pen in love the song. air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I give this an A plus. Uh, one of the best songs I think on the album, uh, and just the perfect way to close and perfect way to end to to. In my opinion, an yeah. almost perfect album. See, and I think that's the cool thing that I've discovered about this album. Because if I look back on my individual grades for the songs, like I say, you got a majority B's and C's on here. I got one A and two D's. But really, it's different because if you look at it as a whole album, I'd probably give it like a A minus B plus even though I've got all the C's and D's and everything sprinkled in there. Individually, these songs are all really good. But it's like you say, when you listen to the whole album, it does something different, you know? So if you can give them all C's and D's with an A and, you know, everything mixed in. But as a whole, I think it's better than the songs individually because they all kind of fit together in a pretty cool way. So I'm actually going to, you know, it, it would seem like I'd rank it, rank this kind of low, but actually as a full album, I'm going to rank it pretty high. I'm going to give it an A minus as a whole. I, and I'd give it the same score. Actually. I think a minus sounds about the only reason it's getting the minus is because it does have a two or three that I would probably pluck out just to tighten the album up a little bit. Yeah there are certain tests that you give an album that if they pass or fail, you know, the quality, you know, where, uh, where people are at with how they absorb this album. And that's number one is in the car. The song, this album jams in the car. Like you can put this on, start off with little head. And before you know it, you're doing 25 miles and an hour over the speed limit. Cause it just mm -hmm. takes off. The other thing is at a barbecue, you put this music on this whole album on a barbecue and you don't have to change it. Everyone's going to love it. Um, everyone's going to ask you, who is this band? Oh, I love this music. This is great. Oh, this is awesome. What's the name of this band? I never heard of them. And you wouldn't have to change or, or skip a song. Even, even the songs that should have been kept out are still good songs. Yeah. Um, it's kind of more in the same, like in that middle to end. You know, like I think it was just, hey, we've got these songs that maybe if they had a better uh, better support from the record label. Maybe they pull these three songs or two songs because they want to tighten up the album, like you said, Chris. But it still works. And even you know, even when you have uh, even when you have a bad piece of pizza, it's still not that bad, right? It's still pizza. Um, I give this one a solid A. One of my top ten albums of all time for me. Uh, when I think of my music journey, uh, it is uh, it's power pop at its finest. It's got lyrics that 
you know, you once you, once you tune into the lyrics and just focus on the lyrics, you're like, wow, it's got like this. This is an album, and maybe you'll disagree with me, but and maybe maybe I'll get slammed by your audience for saying this, but hey, I don't care. This is an album that if they did it right, any of the boy bands that came out during this period could cover several of these songs and have big hits like Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or whatever, because it's got that pop sense. It's got those big choruses. It's got those big hooks. I mean, could you imagine seeing Backstreet Boys doing Get Over? They could easily do it. They could it, easily it totally do it. fits. And that, yeah. and that is like such a remarkable way to write this album that you could have Blink-182 play it. You could have a band like Bon Jovi or Def Leppard play it. You could have a boy band. And, you know, you could even have, you know, whatever country artists do sugar buzz, you know? So, I mean, it really, that's a mark of a great writer that cross genres. And like you said, Aaron, Taylor Swift doing cigarette lighter love song. I mean, or radio Tokyo or whatever. I mean, it'd be, but any genre, it could fit this in any genre, you know, change it up a little bit, but it works, you know? I mean, it's just a remarkable album. That's why it's so underrated. You know, and we keep going back to Butch's writing and, I think you could make a good case that Butch Walker is the modern day Desmond child. Wow. Yeah. Yes, you know what? hundred percent. That, that is perfect. Thing. That is perfect. Yep. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Right. Right. He can rock out, but he can write for any style. And, and if you know a little bit of the history of South gang, they wrote songs with Desmond child and in, uh, in his book, drinking with strangers, which is a great book. It's only about 200 pages. I highly recommend it. He talks about, learning stuff from Desmond Child. So that's a great point. That's a great point. Wow. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it shows like these all seem like Desmond Child songs. Yeah. That's probably why I like it so much because I'm a huge fan of yeah. but it makes sense to me. Well the next mission we got to interview Butch Walker. <laughs> yeah, that's well. on my bucket list too. <laughs> you know um he's such a great artist and I will say this as loud as I can on the top of the highest mountain. If you have the opportunity to see Butch live, go do it. There's only two types of people in this world. Those that are Butch Walker fans and those that haven't heard his music yet. Nice. <laughs> Very well stated. <laughs> oh man. So well, so you handed out the you handed out the homework. Did we pass the assignment? We did a great job. I, I love the discussion. Anytime, you know, you you talk about stuff that we're passionate about with music. Um, especially an album that means so much to me. Uh, I even want to, you know, and you go into an album like Sycamore Meadows and kind of go back to what I talked about at the beginning. The reason why I chose Marvelous 3 is because I'm such a huge fan of Bush, the, the songwriter and the musician. I didn't really give a second thought to Butch until Sycamore Meadows, which was released probably about 16 years ago. It's, it's one of his solo albums. And all my, I live with that rock band that I mentioned in the beginning and they all love Marvelous 3. In fact, two guys that I live with went down to Georgia to see the final concert with Marvelous 3. Uh, they were such big fans. And I, I just got done with a divorce. My buddy who was part of that band goes, hey, you want to go see Butch Walker at the House of Blues? I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, I want to get out of the house. I go saw him and it was like a lightning bolt. It just hit me. And those songs from that album 
really connected with me as I was going through or just finishing up with a divorce. Cause there's a lot of songs, the, the, the magical breakup song that Butch is so good at. Like I'm listening, I'm listening to the music and the concert. I'm like, dude, is he speaking to me? Am I the only one here? Like, is anyone hearing what I'm hearing? And it just connected with me. And when I started to really kind of devour and absorb his music, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, yeah, South Gang's got some good songs, but Marvelous 3 into his solo stuff. It's just, you know, and, and even the stuff that he's produced and written on other albums is just remarkable. One of, one of the best artists, one of the most underrated artists of our time. Uh, it's too bad that he doesn't get the credit that he deserves, but he keeps evolving, which is good too. Cause I like an artist that stretches themselves. Wow. I like it, man. This has been really awesome. Jay, you didn't let us down. You gave us an album that makes you think it makes you wonder, you know, it, it's so much deeper than just, you know, listening to something. It really made me think about this album and how great it really is and how little Marvelous 3 gets credit out there in the world of the history of rock and roll. So hopefully today we've been able to enlighten some people that maybe didn't know so much about Marvelous 3 that'll want to go back. They've got three studio albums. And like Jay said, Butch keeps going to this day and he's got a pretty hefty discography behind him at this point now. So there's plenty of stuff to go out there and check out. If you want to get this album better keep your eyes open in the cds and the uh used section at your favorite local mom and pop record shop because i think that's probably going to be your best bet but it's definitely something if you see it it's probably not going to cost you a ton because whoever's putting the stickers on them probably don't know so snatch that sucker up while you can because you're going to totally enjoy it i think that decibel geek on assignment has been a success thank you jay and thanks for picking such a great album for us to talk about Hey man, my pleasure. It's been it's been an honor to be the first inaugural episode of this uh, on assignment for Decibel Geek. Uh, thank you very much for including me. Uh, love your show. Love you guys. Um, can't wait to see you at Rock and Pod next spring, which I'm excited yes, about. Yeah. So that's going to be kick ass. Uh, podcast community is a great community. Um, there's always going to be a few assholes. But uh, <laughs> there always are. <laughs> but the majority is is uh, is all good, and we're all passionate about music, and uh, love here, love talking with you about stuff that I'm passionate about. Well, and, and Heck yeah, and let's do a plug for the Hook Rocks because there's a lot of great shows on that on or a lot of great episodes on that show. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, the Hook Rocks. We are coming up on our three year anniversary this June. We are coming up on our 350th episode which I can't even believe um, I've done that many, but uh, we really do focus on three different areas of rock music. We really are engaged in emerging rock scene and the new bands that are coming out, because I think it's so important that uh, this, this, these bands that are coming out, find an audience, find an audience that supports them because when these legacy acts are gone, you know, what's going to happen to rock music. I don't think it'll ever die, but it deserves a lot more attention with the new artists because I think they're just as good as the legacy artists because there's some kick-ass bands. So we really focus on a lot with that. We focus on a lot of music commentary, which is affecting music like NFT, blockchain technology, the quality of streaming services, streaming services um, proposing the lowest royalty rates in the history of music. We talk a lot about that stuff. We talk a lot about what bands should be doing to help gain an audience. And of course, we do legacy interviews. Um, some of the recent interviews we've done have been like Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. We've had 
Rick Allen on from Def Leppard, D. Snyder, and a few others. So check us out. Um, always enjoy new listeners and their feedback. You can catch us on any platform. Follow us on Twitter, at The Hook Rocks, on Facebook, at The Hook Rocks, and Instagram. Even though we got one post, I'm working at it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a big boy job that keeps me busy. And uh, as you guys know, doing a podcast takes up a lot of time, too. But, uh, but I enjoy doing it. enjoy meeting you know, Chris and Aaron here on Decibel Geek, all the others on Pantheon Podcast, too, as well. The ones that aren't on Pantheon Podcast, the podcast community is great and uh, support podcasts because we are the ones that are keeping rock alive with our talk, with our passion. And because uh, there's no more rock radio, folks, doesn't exist unless you want to hear the same 30 songs played four times a day. That's what rock radio is right now. So these are like the old radio stations we used to listen to when we were younger you know, that would play and, and turn us on to cool stuff. You know, it's a little bit of a different format, but it's the same passion. So check the hook rocks out, check decibel geek out and all the other music related podcasts. Damn straight. I love it. All right. Well, on assignments to success, we're going to keep doing more of these in the future. Thanks again, Jay. This was great, man. Appreciate the time guys. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next week. In a world where rock music is slowly going the way of the caribou, one band sets out on one mission, to stand alone high atop a mountain of rock. Ready, sex, go. The third effort from The Marvelous Three, recorded from the fall of 99 to the spring of 2000, in preparation for the rock epiphany of the new millennium. Introducing Jerry Finn and Butch Walker as the notorious production duo Poncho and Lefty. Starring Butch on all vocals and guitars, Jace on bass, and Slug on drums. All songs written by Butch Walker, Scorpio Rock Tunes, Warner Chapel, Fi High Music. Gang vocals by Jay Slug, Kevin Lawson, D. Grady, and J. Uriah Lemons. J.J., Brad Pitt, Jennifer Lopez, Paul Stanley, Jack Black, and Butch. Backup vocals on Supernatural Blonde, Cold as Hell, and Get Over by Kevin Lawson. Christina Lurie on backing vocals of I'm Using You. With a guitar solo at the end of Radio Tokyo, Yogi. Appearing courtesy of Buck Cherry and DreamWorks Records. With guitar solos in Get Over, Jeremy Popoff. Appearing courtesy of Lit and Dirty Martini RCA Records. On piano in Radio Tokyo and Cigarette Lighter Love Song, Roger Joseph Manning Jr.